Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Before we talk about the vaccine, I want to ask you about the poll. The poll that was done between Ipso, with uh, ABC News and Ipsos, which shows that, was it a significant majority of Americans? I don't have the poll in front of me. I just heard the news story. Want Mr. Trump out of the White House be- before Inauguration Day. Can you talk to us about that poll? Yeah, 56% of Americans uh, who responded to the survey. Now, interestingly, when you take a look at um, how people feel across various political parties, that's 94% of Democrats, but only 13% of Republicans. But still, 13% of people who voted uh, Republican in the uh, in the last election campaign believe that their uh, their party leader should go. Is this surprising to you, given not the not the Democrat numbers, but when you look at the overall? Because we start to, I think overall numbers start, do they not start to influence people on both sides? If you start to have a high number in the middle, it will drag others toward the center. Is, is that, does that happen? Yeah, that's what we typically see. Uh, that what happens is that uh, a bit of a bandwagon starts to build. So uh, I think what the, the events of last week, uh, we can talk about all the effects that they've had on American democracy and what the longer term implications are. But in terms of the shorter term implications, and basically uh, Donald Trump uh, based, essentially cut himself off at the knees. And, uh, you know, we were wondering what it was going to take before Americans would finally turn on him. And it seems like last week was it. So if this event on Wednesday, this assault on the Capitol hadn't taken place following Mr. Trump addressing his followers in Washington, if that had not taken place, would the numbers, do you think, have been substantially different had the poll been taken just because it was the end of the week? I think it might have been a little bit more 50-50 because, uh, you know, the truth is we're dealing with a situation that does have a, a limited time on it. And uh, I think you know a fair number of Americans would like to put the events of the election behind them, and would like to move on. But uh, uh, the events of uh, of the week demonstrated to people that there might even be a cost that's related to that. In fact, we asked another question on that. You know, who's most to blame for what happened, or how much blame do you think Donald Trump deserves for the uh, the riot? Um, and uh, 67% of Americans said a great deal or a good amount, and that's even a third of Republicans. Yeah, that's so a, that's a big. We number. crossed the line. Yeah. Uh, was there a regional breakdown, a regional difference? Um, let me ask you about that first. Was there a regional difference? Well, it tends to follow the red and blue state lines, right? So um, mm-hmm. if you're more of a Republican voting state, then obviously the, the desire for uh, getting Mr. Trump out is lower. And if you're in a blue state, it's obviously higher. But uh, there's no place in the United States right now where there isn't a significant part of the population that uh, isn't disgusted by what they saw last week and believes that Donald Trump bears uh, a large amount of the blame. Yeah, the reason I asked about the regional situation is that increasingly I'm seeing op-eds by people who have a significant amount of influence, at least regionally, at least in the area they're in, some nationally, where they question whether or not there is enough of of an element in the U.S., a break-up-the-United-States element, to really be of concern that it might happen to that country. Uh, I don't see in the polling at the moment that 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 has crystallized as a solution for people who feel disaffected. So uh, just as we saw... Um, you know, in the riot where people broke in and then didn't quite know what to do with themselves. Uh, you know, maybe there's going to be something that crystallizes, but the level of division that exists in the United States generally right now is extremely high. And, and you know, I don't think that these poll, poll results 
uh, should be read as um, uh, you know all of the uh, the American population kind of getting, getting on one side of this issue. Seventy-four Amer- million Americans voted for Donald Trump in the last election. That's an awful lot of people. And they're not necessarily feeling that what's going on in Washington right now is speaking to their interests. Now, the more extreme elements of that, obviously, uh, in, in the minds of most Americans, went too far. But that need to heal the wounds uh, that exist as a result of the election, but not going much further back than that, continues to persist. And that will be uh, the new administration's single biggest challenge. Yeah. Just want to remind everybody in this country, if you want to know what's going to be happening in Canada going forward in the years to come in so many different ways, so many different facts of life and government and where we'll live and how we'll live, read Daryl's book next, next. It's an amazing book. I know I've talked about it many times, but it really is something that all Canadians should read. Daryl, let's look at this issue of the uh, of the vaccine in this mm-hmm. country. So uh, is the is the level of support for vaccination, to be vaccinated, is that growing now? Yeah, it will be growing. And uh, basically the people who were reluctant about getting vaccinated were looking to see that um, uh, you know, particularly the initial uh, rollout of the vaccines wasn't leading to a whole bunch of people uh, having major side effects or, uh, you know, any health crisis that was related to actually getting the vaccine. And, and if the vaccine continues to appear safe, which is, I think, what the experience has been to date, then you can just expend, expect demand to grow uh, even larger and more fervent. So the last time we talked about this, you know, it was before Christmas, I think, uh, and you told me at the time, of, was it between 7 and 8 million Canadians then were ready to roll up their arms that particular day, me being among them? Yeah, 7 and 8 million, and that was just before they really knew anything about what was going on. They're so desperate to get out of this situation that we find ourselves in. And I would expect that now that we have uh, had a bit of a positive experience in terms of the side effects or any problems that could be uh, occur uh, specifically as a result of getting vaccinated, that that number probably has gone up by at least another 50% or maybe even doubled. Uh, because we saw that there was a, a large group of people who were just waiting to see what the early adopters were going to experience, and they were prepared to pile on. And this is where it starts to get difficult for the government. Now, they've sort of unilaterally said that their acceptable deadline is September. Well, that's their view of things. If we see a lot of progress in other countries that we consider to be good markers for us, and Canada isn't getting out of the situation because it doesn't have enough access to vaccines, what the government says about its deadline uh, will be cold comfort. Yeah, the National Health Service in, in the UK has said that as far as England is concerned, they're expecting their adult population to be vaccinated by the middle of April, and they're expecting 75% of the population to want the vaccine. So if we lag significantly behind like countries like the UK or the United States or Australia or other countries whose you know, level of governance and type of, of, of governance is, is, is similar to ours, and we lag way behind them, then it will be a political price that Mr. Trudeau will have to pay, if there, particularly if there's an election this year. Well, especially if what we find is that the provinces are, are um, uh, in a situation in which they're able to roll it out efficiently when they do get it, and the finger gets pointed back towards the Trudeau government, which is, well, you know, you guys are responsible for supply. That's when the problems will really start to to emerge yeah and, and i and you i don't know if you've seen the stuff i've written on this roy for global news but uh you know i've been saying that this idea that there's this easy follow or, or spring springtime election in the midst of this issue i'm not so sure 
Uh, I'm not so sure that it's as, uh, as much of a slam dunk as people seem to think it is. Yeah, I know. I know you feel that way, and I, I, I tend to. I mean, I agree with you that they're going to look for the most advantageous time for them. And if the spring looks advantageous, that's when we go. And because I think Mr. Trudeau can count on the NDP. We're only get too deeply into this, but they can count on the NDP support because Mr. Singh doesn't want an election at all. Uh, but it it will be it'll be fascinating. And this, regardless, would you say that regardless of when it happens, the when it being the election, when it happens, COVID is going to be a major role player. Yeah, the election will be about that. It will be about um, a combination of how the crisis has been managed and how uh, what they have to say about the, the future of Canada coming out of the crisis. So, yeah, there's no election in which this isn't the number one issue. What's your idea? What's your sense of how we come out of this COVID crisis? How does the future of Canada look to you? Well, that's what I wrote next about. And a lot of what we've gone through in, uh, through COVID really just amplified what we were talking about. And there's going to be some parts of this that are going to persist. Like, for example, I really wonder what's going to happen to the downtowns of cities mm-hmm. going forward. Um, you know, whether or not we're going to go back to work in the way that we used to. Uh, given in particular that cities have used this as an opportunity to make whatever the commuting is going to be from people who live out of the, outside of the city even harder. Uh, as, you know, as we move forward, whether or not it's going to be worth it for people to go back to uh, to working downtown, whether or not we're going to see maybe uh, um, uh, the suburbs go through a you know a, a, a big increase in terms of their uh, their appeal for people as more and more of us work from home. Uh, you know, we've lost two years worth of immigration. Our population doesn't grow without that. So, are we going to be able to make that back up? What's going to happen to fertility rates? We know. In, in the short term so far, that it, uh, the COVID has absolutely crushed fertility rates in Canada. So are we going to tip into a period in which we're not going to be growing as a population going forward? There's a lot of really interesting questions around this that I talk a bit about in next, but have really been amplified as we've gone through this crisis. What are the most significant particular takeaways? So we emerged from COVID. We have a, a, an entire cadre of kids who've been suspended in suspended animation for some period of time throughout this. We have an economy that's been shut down, locked down, restarted, sort of, not restarted in other ways. Small business community that's struggling. We have an aging demographic. Immigration is down. Um, uh, new generation coming along is, is not what we would normally expect, as you just pointed out. What's going to, what's the takeaway, the overall takeaway? Well, that the, the country that existed prior to this all starting in March is going to go through some significant transitions over time. And the, the, the key thing on all of this is that we're not exactly sure, I mean, uh, what's going to come out of this. And, and that's a really disconcerting point to, to make. I mean, there are certain forces that were already in place that have, as I said before, been amplified by what, what's been going on. But a lot of the details have yet to be worked out. Now, um, unfortunately, what I'm seeing in a lot of analysis, there's a lot of, uh, obviously, uh, you know, quick takes and and, uh, and uh, uh, you know, people with theories that they had before that uh, are simply seeing them as being played out through uh, what's going on with the COVID crisis. But uh, we, we've got to really sit back and, and take a look at what we're going to be facing in the future because the potential that it could be very different is, is definitely there. Um, is there any way to look at what is going to be happening demographically? And what's What's the demographic future when we have an aging population, we have a, um, a re- reduction in the birth rate, 
because of COVID, and we have a reduction in immigration. So demographics are going to play a major role in in Canada's future regionally and nationally. I, 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 can you fill this in for me a little bit? I've got lots of empty spaces in, in, this, in this picture here, in this picture book. Okay, well, there's three big things that have happened as a result of COVID in our population, and they all add up to the same thing. So and, until fairly recently, over the last 20 years or so, until right now, the Canadian population has outstripped, uh, the, 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 say, for example, the G8 population in terms of growth. We grow about 1% a year and have been doing so every year for the last 20, 25 years until this year. And what's happened is we've had three things come together. One of them is people stopped having kids. Uh, it was already, uh, we were already recording a record low even before the crisis. It was down to 1.47. So we're less than, uh, we're, we're half a kid short of actually having just a sustaining population. When times are tough, people don't have kids. So that number is going to contract. The second thing is we have excess death among the older population. So we have more people dying than normal within that age category. And then the third thing, which really drives our population growth and makes it at that 1% level, is immigration. We've only had about a third of the people who normally come into the country come in this year, and it's probably going to be a very similar circumstance again in 2021. So all of those things are going to add up to lead to population reduction. Population increases, which causes economic growth. And as a result, one of the things that we've really relied on to grow our economy, which is our growing population, has all of a sudden in a, you know, a dead stop as of March of last year, and probably again for this year. Now, the question is, how does that add up over the next while if we can't make up for those people uh, that kept our population growing? And the answer is, it could be a really big problem for us. Which way, and I think this probably has a role to play in everything that happens in the country going forward, Politically, which way do you see Canada going? Is it going to go down the middle? Will it be more to the left? Will it be more to the right? Will it determine? Will it matter uh, who the particular leader or the circumstance of the day is? Is there any way to 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 uh, to determine the direction the country's going? Yeah, the country tends to be center center left, uh, center right, mostly center. Uh, I would say extremism mm-hmm. doesn't really have much of a a voice in the in, in this country the way that we maybe even seeing south of the border right now. But the the way our our politics works is really very clear. Uh, there's a conservative coalition that's somewhere between about 30-35%. There's a progressive coalition that's basically the rest. So in the last election campaign, you had the combination of the uh, uh, the Liberal Party, the NDP, and the Green Party making up the just close to the majority of the Canadian population. Then you have the Bloc Québécois, which is, uh, when you look at it on a national level, about 6 or 7% of the vote. And then you have the Conservatives somewhere around 35. So as long as the, um, the progressive coalition gets behind, mostly behind one party, they tend to win elections. And it's an election that tends to be dominated by what happens in Ontario and Quebec, particularly in the downtowns, but also in the suburbs. Okay. Western Canada, with the exception of British Columbia, tends to vote the other way. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend.